Hi, my name is Rion. Uh, this is the first edition of the Workday Drive podcast. And we are looking back at the past week and all those highlights that happened on the show. Paula Quincy spoke to us about what it's like being a life and business coach. Tell me about how did you decide on this career path? I didn't really decide. I think I think I kind of fell into it. I think as most of us do when we find our passion or our calling. So it was in my personal space. I have a corporate background. I was working in the corporate and in my personal space, I was in a relationship six and a half years that hit rock bottom and we were going for therapy. And our therapist referred us to a Margot relationship therapy. So we went off on this couple's retreat and weekend, and I was just blown away at the impact that Imago had on me in terms of helping me understand who I was as a person, my sort of path that I had taken up until then, and, and how I had got to the situation that I was in. And that was really my first sort of exposure or experience to, to life coaching. Um, and, and so there and then I decided that I, I wanted to learn this. I wanted to teach this because life's too short to be miserable, especially in our relationships, which should be our biggest source of support. I've got to ask you that you managed to save the relationship. You knew that it was coming. <laughs> I did because everyone asks me that. Uh, no, we didn't um, for various reasons. One of the main reasons is that I was blaming my partner for everything that had gone wrong in our relationship because he had had an affair. Until I had to look in the mirror one day and go, yes, but how did I co-create this? Now, I'm not condoning his behavior, but situations don't just happen. We don't wake up in the morning and go, today I'm going to have an affair. It happens over time. So our relationship broke down over time, and that's how we ended up in the situation we were. Are you all for like attracts like, positive thinking? I've got to ask that. <laughs> I, I am, but there's also that cliche that opposites attract. And I also do believe that that happens for a reason as well. So, and then you became an, a relationship expert as well. Now, what does it entail being a, a relationship expert? So I'm a certified Imago relationship therapy facilitator and educator. I am an NLP life coach and a personal development analyst and coach. And really what that means is I work with relationship dynamics across both spheres, personal world and professional world. And relationship dynamics starts off with relationship with self. So do you have a healthy relationship with yourself? And then how do you co-create the relationships and the dynamics that is happening in your life in a personal world as well as in the work, working world? Do you study for this? You mentioned that? Yes. Yeah, so so Imago Relationship Therapy, I started off studying that first. Um, the first level that I did was a year's program. Uh, then I followed up with the, the facilitators um, training, and that was another year. Then after that, I wanted some more skills that would help me deal with individuals versus just with couples and relationships. So that's why I did NLP, neurolinguistic programming, um, which is life coaching, and that was another year's program. And then subsequently, I've attended a number of other short courses and trainings and that to just keep and keep continuing building my skills. Where do you study for something like this? So there's a number of places, but if you are interested in, I would definitely recommend those that are certified from um, an accreditation perspective. So the two key bodies that you could look at is the ICF, which is the International Coaching Federation, or Commensa, which is Coaching and Mentoring Association of South Africa. But most of the big institutions like uh, Stellenbosch University, Wits Business School, Henley, offer some sort of coaching accreditation and program. Now, you've published two books as well. You're an author. Please tell me more about that. So I, I didn't set out intending to publish a book. Um, I was contributing 
online to a number of platforms in terms of articles as well as my own blog on my website. And one of my friends had published books and I was like, well, how did you do that? It must have taken you years to do that. And then so she took me through the process that she went through and I thought, well, hey, maybe I could do this too. So what I started doing was taking all the articles and that that I'd written over the years, collated it together and then turned it into a self-help guide. So that was the first book, which is Embracing Conflict. And it's a self-help guide around dealing with conflict, either from an internal point of view, you've reached a crossroad in your life, you've got inner turmoil, that's conflict, or from a relationship perspective or in the workplace. So Embracing Conflict, um, that's the first book, um, which is available on Amazon or my website. And then the other one is just an ebook, which is available on my website. And it's around sort of short, quick tips that you can use to improve relationships in all areas of your life. And we don't even realize how, how important those relationships are. Because when you think about relationships, it's about like a love relationship. But these are other relationships on that. Well, they say there's seven key relationships that we have throughout our lifetime. So the first one is obviously relationship with self. Do you have a healthy relationship with yourself? Uh, so in other words, are you comfortable with who you are and in your own skin? Or do you have a negative relationship? In other words, low self-worth, low self-esteem, low self-confidence. Then there's relationship with your partner, which is where our biggest source of support and encouragement and that comes from. Then our children. Then we have relationship with family. So parents, um, extended family, aunties, uncles, cousins. Then we have friends. Then we have relationships in the workplace with our peers and some people would also say a spiritual relationship, whatever that might be for you, because for everybody, spirituality is a different thing. And some people would also say relationship with money. Do you have That's a important. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think they're all important because at some point or other, they play a primary role in our lives. And when it comes to positive and negative relationship with money, because when I mention relationship with money, people always look at me like you are right now with a confused look on your face. <laughs> what does that mean? So positive relationship with money means how do you manage your money? Do you manage your money responsibly? Do you save? Do you pay all your debt and all your bills on time? Or do you have a negative relationship where you are either living above your means? You can, there's more month at the end of them, you know, than, the, than there is money. And uh, are you being responsible and wise with money? Any other books planned? There is. So the next one in the pipeline, which has been in the pipeline for about two years now, is going to be called Embracing No. And it's how to say no and be okay with that and not feel the guilt and the shame and all those other things that we do. I was going to ask you about that, saying no and feeling guilty about it. I mean, everybody does it. And you, you say no and then you feel bad about it afterwards. Yeah. How, how does that happen? So I think it starts off with the type of personality that you are in that are you a people pleaser or a peacekeeper? So you're keeping everybody else happy at the expense of self. And so you find it hard to say no to other people. And if you do, then you feel you have to justify the reason why or you know, and, and, and then the guilt and maybe the shame or the embarrassment, all those things starts coming into play. Where in actual fact, we need to be okay with saying no. But also, don't we feel bad about saying no? I'm a bad person because I said no. And again, that comes back to relationship with self. If you had a healthy relationship with yourself and you were confid confident within self and comfortable enough to say no and not have to justify, it's okay. So, for example, when you go and phone your doctor or your hairdresser or your dentist and you say, I'd like to see you on Monday, and they say, sorry, I'm fully booked. I can't see you Monday, but I can see you on Tuesday. Do you, how do you feel about that? So why is it okay? Why can't we do the same thing? That's actually so true. 
your services, what services do you offer? Because I'm very interested to know here. So, as I said, I work with both individuals in their personal capacity and I work with organizations. So, individuals either one-on-one where we're working through whatever challenges you are facing. Potentially, you're at a crossroad in your life. You want to make a career change. Or from a relationship perspective, um, you've either come out of a relationship and you now want to pick up the pieces and start a new life as a single person. Or a couple that's going through the different phases of their relationship. So, for example, newlyweds or people that want to take their relationship to the next level where they now start moving in together. Couples that have been in a relationship for a while and children have come along and it's changed the dynamics of the relationship. Or what we commonly call the empty nest syndrome, where children have now left the home and the couple have to reconnect with each other because for so many years their focus has been on the children. So from from that perspective, I work with individuals and then with organizations, it's about relationships in the workplace. So personal development, team development, uh, leadership and mentorship and team profiling and personal development assessments. We've all about heard about personal development. Exactly what is this? Explain. <laughs> so generally what's thrown around in the workplace or what we commonly hear is IQ and EQ. Now, IQ is how clever you are. And with all due respect, I don't care how clever you are. I want to know what your EQ is, your emotional intelligence. And our emotional foundation is formed in the first seven years of our lives, our formative years. And thereafter, it is reinforced until we get into adulthood and we have to start forging relationships with other people. And those things include communication, um, trust, vulnerability, values, um, being able to show emotions or express emotions and being able to deal with conflict. And we don't get taught these things in school or university either. So we learn them at home, but in a very roundabout way. Our parents don't sit down and go, now I'm teaching you values. They teach us through behavior through what not to do and what to do and discipline. And only when we start living our adult life and we have to start dealing with these skills, do we need to now start becoming self-aware, which is your EQ. How am I showing up every day? How am I co-creating what's happening in my space? And then SQ, which is your social intelligence. How are you using that information outwards in terms of how are you impacting other people or how are you allowing others to impact you? Wow. <laughs> That's a mouthful. <laughs> okay. Also then coming back to you here again, you're a competitive athlete. Yes. What sports do you do? Primarily long distance running. Um, so I've done Comrades Marathon, Two Oceans Marathon. Um, I was a late bloomer, as they call it. I only really started running in my late 30s. Um, with a dream that one day I would do the Comrades Marathon. And if you ask any runner, they'll say, oh, yeah, I only want to do it once, but it never, ever happens. So I've done five. <laughs> and, and places, did you have, what positions did you get? Yeah, so, so I was very blessed um, that I was 10th overall in the Comrades from a lady's perspective in, in 2009, um, 10th South African lady, 13th overall. Um, I've also been very blessed to win a, a number of distances and races um, over the years and, and both, uh, you know, from an age category perspective as well. How, does, how has this helped your career? So when it comes to dealing with people and helping them to set their own goals or work through challenges, um, for example, motivation, inspiration, understanding why they've chosen the specific goals that they've chosen, I use a lot of what I've learned personally from my training over the years, discipline, focus, perseverance, resilience, to help my clients that I work with as well, wherever they are at. 
Wow. You cater for both individuals and corporates. How does the process vary between the two? You know, funny enough, they, they, I, I see them as very similar. So relationships in your personal world are, are not really that different to the workplace. The key principles are the same. The biggest differentiator is our personal relationships are much more emotionally charged because they're driven by romantic love or unconditional love for our children and our family and our friends. Whereas our relationships in the workplace is driven by a different kind of love. Love for the brand or the organization that we work for, the people that we work with, the jobs that we do, the sector that we're in. Otherwise, we wouldn't get up and go to work every day and enjoy what we do. That's not to say everybody does, but majority of us. Yeah. So just as you deal with conflict in your personal relationships, you would do the same in the workplace. So the principles are that's very, very similar. Why is it important to have healthy work relationships? Well, considering how much time we spend in the workplace, I mean, on average, eight hours, if not more, depending on what industry you're in, you, you know, you need to be in an environment that is healthy for you. And part of that is the people that you're working with and the relationships that you have with those people. Now, generally, we typically, typically think of employees, but that we also need to take into account customers and suppliers because we also have relationships with them too. So, you know, if you're going to be there all day long, might as well make the most of the situation and have good relationships. What are some things that you would typically teach in a, in a corporate session? So first of all, we'll start off with understanding self. So that's where the personal development assessments come in play, understanding your own behavior. Because once you have an awareness of behavior, it's easier to change behavior or do things differently if you want a different outcome. If people are struggling with, for example, conflict in the workplace, which is quite a big thing, um, you know, then we teach them communication tools. We teach them um, listening skills because there's a big difference between listening and hearing. Uh, we teach people to understand different cultural nuances as well, particularly in the South African market where we have such a diverse cultural dynamic. You know, something might happen in my world, the Western world, that I may take offense from if I was, you know, from a black culture and vice versa. But if I understand those nuances, then I can see it very differently. If I have a company and I identify the need that I, I now need somebody like you, how do I get hold of you and uh, how, how do you go about yeah. it? So I'm available um, from a business point of view. You can find me on LinkedIn, um, Paula Quincy. You can also go to my website, paulaquincy.com. I'm also on all the social media platforms. What I would typically do is come in and have a, a coffee chat or a discussion with you to understand exactly what your needs are, what it is that you're trying to achieve, what the objectives are. And then we would look at putting a process in place to meet those objectives and ensure that it's sustainable over the long term. Follow-up sessions? Do you do follow-up sessions? Absolutely. Why is it important? Because behavior change takes time. Behavior doesn't change overnight. So you need to sustain it over the long term, which is why follow-up sessions are recommended. For example, if you wake up today and you decide, I want to lose 10 kgs, you don't just wake up and lose 10 kgs. You have to change your behavior. You've got to start looking at your eating patterns, your exercise patterns, your lifestyle patterns, and make those small changes and shifts so that over time you lose the 10 kgs. But then once you've lost the 10 kgs, how do you sustain that behavior? Otherwise, you're going to go back to where you were and pick up all that weight all over again. 
I also think kind of the way you're talking is it's 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 so it's very similar to the whole principle that thoughts create feelings, which creates behaviors, which creates your your physical outcome eventually. Absolutely. And I think that's important that people realize that, you know, what you're thinking kind of determines everything else. Well that cliche, you are what you think. That's absolutely true. Your most memorable session that you've had so far. Sure. There's been so many. Um so on the personal side, I was dealing with a couple who were on the verge of divorce and they came to see me and the issue that they had thought was the issue was an intimacy issue. Now, just for clarity purposes, people do confuse intimacy and sex as one and the same thing when they're very different. And so intimacy is that sense of feeling close to someone, um, that sense of feeling safe, um, of being affectionate, whereas obviously sex is different. Um, it's the actual deed. That's not to say that they are not integrated because they are. And so through the process, we were working with them. We started off that this was the, 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 the issue that they thought that it was. And when we went through the process, we actually found out that it was something very different, something from this woman's childhood that was coming out and, and, and being uh, contributing to the situation that they found themselves in and subsequently turned their relationship around 360. Wow. Paula, thank you so much. And uh, I think we can break the news. You are going to become a regular voice here at the radio station because you are going to do a weekly coaching advice section with me. Yes, thank you. I'm really looking forward to and it. And also, it's going to be so much fun. Paula, thank you so much. Enrique from the social media company kind of put a highlight and a spotlight on what children and social media are all about. So first things first, um, does social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter have age restrictions? Yes. So in our, in our previous talk that we had last week, we also, um, we also touched on this, like you said, regarding the age restrictions. All, almost all of them do. Um, Facebook, Twitter, most of the, of the big ones, the age restrictions is 13. There's some of them that has age restrictions of 16. Um, yeah, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, most of them is 13. When it comes to ads, however, that age restriction is a little bit higher. Um, so if you are running ads on, on social media, you can't target those ads specifically for, for children. Um, and then, of course, there are some sites, someone like YouTube, for example, you need to be 18, although you can create a profile if you're younger with the permission of your, of your parents. Teenagers. Mm -hmm. Is social media bad for them? Not necessarily. A lot of people, this is a, a very popular discussion. There's a lot of research going on at the moment about the impact of, of social media on children, on people under the age of 18, um, especially teenagers, because it's such a big part of, of their lives. Um, you know, they, they are the, the younger generations are growing up with social media. Um, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Yes, there's a lot of risks, and I'm sure we will discuss that later as well. But we know, if if you think back to your own school experience, perhaps, there's so many people who went to school who would tell you that they didn't have, they didn't necessarily fit in. You know, um, it was a very, you kind of had to fit a specific 
image you had to be a specific type of person to really fit in and that makes sense you know you go to school with a limited amount of people you all kind of have the same routine you know being unique is often very difficult like especially we know in the lgbt community um it is still very very difficult for for a lot of teens to come out of the closet you know to say that this is who i am um especially in school and social media plays a very big role here you know, it allows teenagers to connect with other people who's just like them. Um, it allows you to be creative um, in ways that I want to say we didn't necessarily have as children. So it it gives you exposure to a much broader audience. You know, if I if I'm thinking about myself, you know, in in high school, you. You kind of wonder is there other people out there like like me again like i say especially when it comes to sexuality or gender identity um you might think that you're the only gay person in your school you know there's only a few of you where on social media you obviously realize that okay now there's a lot of people out there who's just like me there's a lot of people with different sexualities different gender identities so in that case for emotional well-being we have seen numerous times there's actually not necessarily bad for for teenagers um it can be a support yes definitely definitely you know and something we should keep in mind that social media if we talk about social media today we, we're talking about facebook and twitter but if you think about online gaming which is something that's been big for many many years um that's a type of social media it is a type of social media you know you've got these communities of people playing games and and interacting you know over the internet talking to one another um becoming friends that's something that has been played a very important role in the lives of many children for many many years um again if you think of children that might be introverts they might be struggling in school to make friends, but with all of these alternative platforms out there, they find different ways of connecting with people. Um, and that's always a good thing. We were talking about age restrictions, and then we specifically specifically spoke about Facebook and Twitter, and they're 13 years old. Mm-hmm. The other sites, is there a difference? Are there higher age restrictions? Something like Tumblr, for example, would it have a higher yes. age restriction and why? I haven't been on Tumblr in so long. I'm not sure what their age restriction is. The dating sites obviously usually have. So something like Tinder, they are the only ones that I can think of now that usually have an age restriction of 18 or higher. Um, and it's obviously because the, the purpose of those sites are, are completely different from, from your normal um, social media, social media sites. Then you also get sites, if you are a parent of a toddler or a, a very young child and they do want something, if you go onto Disney.com, Disney has a social media-like platform for children, um, in which case you have to be under a certain age um, to have a profile. And it's a completely different scenario. You don't use your real name. You don't use real photos. You kind of create a little avatar for yourself. And there's a bunch of games that the kids can play they learn maths and how to spell, but at the same time, they can connect with their friends on these platforms as well. What's the risks involved when it comes to social media and kids? The one that we've touched on numerous times is the fact that they get exposed to things which you as a parent wouldn't necessarily want your children to get exposed to. Um, that's been a risk of the internet since the beginning, um, that children all of a sudden have access to to so much more. 
Again, I think if you've got a really young child, there's a lot that you can do to control it. You know, you don't need to give a six-year-old a smartphone with unlimited access to the internet. Um, when it comes to teenagers and kids who's, who's a bit older, it becomes more difficult. And there, like I say, being exposed to things that you don't necessarily want them to be exposed to, that's a big risk. Probably, I think an even bigger risk is, is online bullying. Um, that's a big problem on, on the internet. I mean, you can imagine for yourself, bullying has always been a problem. Um, it's it's a problem in schools, kids teasing each other, being mean to each other. And now you kind of giving them an additional tool which they can use to, to bully each other, um, a tool where it's so much easier to do it. I mean, we as adults are bullying each other on social media every single day, um, calling people names. Oh, this is going to you, how does this work? How does social media bullying work? I mean, I can physically bully, physical bullying, I can understand. Yes. How do you bully someone yes. on social media? Well, I think, like I said, the, 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 the problem that with social media, it's, it's so much easier. You know, the same way you would tease someone, you would tease a kid for, you know, maybe having a different sexuality or being overweight or uh, wearing glasses or whatever kids tease each other about nowadays. Um, the same way you would do it in, in person, the only difference is now it's so much easier because you can almost do it, you can do it while sitting behind a computer. You don't have to be in someone's face to tell them that they are ugly or that they, uh, you know, like, like I said, I don't know what kids these But don't you about, have but, the choice if you are on the receiving end of this, just to put off and walk away? Or do people actually sit through scenarios like this? Yes, you see, but that's the thing. With with children, it's they obviously don't necessarily have that emotional intelligence yet, if we, you can put it like that, to say, okay, you know what, I'm just going to walk away from this. Um, I think any child who's ever been bullied um, know how painful it can be, you know how difficult it can be. You know, you obviously want to fit in with, with your peers. Um, and now you're on social media and kids are making fun of you there um they might be making fun of the clothes that you're wearing or the way that you look or the way that there's things that you're doing um and like i say because it's on the internet it's so much easier you know people might think twice when they're actually looking you in the eyes but now they there's kind of a buffer between the two of you you know so they can kind of say whatever they want and children can be mean um and at that young age it is hurtful, you know, it's difficult for kids to deal with, with that type of bullying. And the sad thing is that, that parents won't always know. I mean, again, you won't necessarily know if your child is being bullied at school. So on social media or in, on the internet, it's even more difficult to know whether or not your child is being bullied. Wouldn't it just be easier to ban your children from the internet completely? I think, I think that is the go-to approach um, for a lot of parents when it comes to social media and perhaps when it comes to anything that might be bad for a child. You know, I think in recent years, um, there's a lot of conversations when it comes to children's health. You know, do you completely ban your children from eating sweets or do you only give them a little bit at a time? You know, how do you handle that? And with social media, it's exactly the same thing. The truth is we all know if you tell a 17-year-old, listen, yeah, you're not allowed to be on Facebook. They're going to find a way to be on, on social media. I remember back in the day when we all had Mixit, um, there were a lot of parents that didn't want their children to be on Mixit. I can't remember that it really stopped anyone that I know, uh, 
you know, from being on Mixit, we all still found a way to to use the platform. And the same goes for, for other social media platforms. Um, I think we know by now that banning something, um, especially teenagers, does, doesn't necessarily mean that they're not going to have access to it. Um, again, especially the internet, it's accessible from so many different places. Um, so I would rather say the most important thing, and this goes for almost everything, is communication. Make sure that you talk to your kids about social media usage. Make sure that they know they can come to you and tell you when someone is bullying them. If you do find out that your child is being bullied on, on social media, you know, communicate with them how you plan on handling it. You know, don't just, and I know it's so difficult. Obviously, your child is being bullied. You want to jump in there and you want to start messaging stuff back, you know, but you don't want to create a scenario where they don't come back to you in future about what's going on in their social media or in their digital lives. Um, so make sure you keep the communication open. Make sure you explain to them what is right and what is not. Like we said in one of the previous shows, um, you know, make sure that your kids are also not the bullies. You know, make sure that they also know that if something is not fine to say to someone in, in real life, then it's also not fine to say that to someone on, on social media. You know, so explain to them what is the right etiquette um, and have rules about social media usage. You know, tell them, give them specific times that they are allowed to be, to on, be on. on social media. You know, um, I know of a lot of parents who say it's fine to be on social media, but not in your room. You know, you have to use it in, in an open space or whatever it is that you and your family decide is best. There's so many creative things on the internet out there of parents um, drawing up little contracts for their kids, you know, that they have to abide by, you know, to to um, when they want to use social media. So there's a lot I think you can do before you reach that step of completely banning them from, from using the internet for that matter. Great, Henrik, thank you so much. Then there was the Vikings and Homo Erotica and... Uh, after studies done, we realized that they weren't as conservative as we think they are. But speaking of today, and uh, we're going to take a little trip back into history, and we are going to talk about Vikings and uh, what it was like being male, I think, back then. Now, barebacking was the norm among Vikings, believe it or not. So, you know, they weren't as conservative as we thought they would. You could bottom for extremely muscular hot men with meaty bananas if you were a member of the Nordic Vikings. There was only one catch though, you had to take massive offloads. Now according to um, the gay buzz, the gay pop buzz website um, where this article surfaced, um, in fact, the more milk you guzzled down or absorbed, the better. That's because followers of the Viking god Freya believe that man's strength came from semen. And uh, we are not talking about those semen from the boats now. We are actually talking of the liquid kind. Now, the Viking period took place between um, 793 to um, 1066 AD. And men from this era hailed primarily from modern-day Scandinavia, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, Finland, and Iceland, respectively. Now, scholarly research tells us that homosexuality was not regarded by the Viking peoples as being evil, perverted, or innately against the law of nature. 
rather it was seen um, through the lens of a leader versus follower, with bottoms being submissive to men who were stronger. Now, they believed by taking loads in loads, orally and anally, it was believed power could be derived from a god. So uh, if you shot up somebody, then uh, that power was transmuted and transferred through your sperm. Now, as part of the preparation process in the run-up to raiding a city, which was known as a sack, warriors would battle one another using wooden swords and shields. Now, typically, according to this website, such training sessions contained clads of about 20 men. Now, according to ancient texts, winners and losers of such competitions were then divided into two groups. The winners, Old Norse for winners, and the Vatas, which meant losers. Now, if you were a loser, you were required to gather with the other Vatas, the other losers, on one side of a rope line. The winners or the, lo- or the, uh, the, winners, or the winners would then stand facing you on their side. Now, I am going to tell you what happened to the losers, what happened if you lost after some Jasmine Thompson with Macy Gray's I Tried and then a Banks with Mind Games. And then I'm going to tell you what it would have meant if you lost one of these Viking battles because that meant that you would have been used and abused tremendously. We were talking about fights and how this used to work. So they believe that strength and power and courage and warriorship was sort of transferred through sperm. So they had battles where you would fight and then the lo- with um, wooden swords and shields and then the losers would be kind of sent to one side of a line and the winners would then stand to the other side of the land line. Now, if you were a loser, you were required to get on a bended knee and petition the naughty god Freya. Your singular goal was to pray for his intervention to become stronger and more agile. Now, what followed next after prayers were over, the action began. Now, winning Vikings would step over the rope and uh, grab the losers at will. Resistance was not part of the dynamic. It was seen as a spiritual thing happening here. And uh, you should happen to, uh, if you happen to be a loser and a losing Viking, one of two things would happen. You would either kind of, according to this site, be fed or dot, dot, dot. The choice of um, where the winner's seeding was going to take place and made was particularly up to the winner. Uh, if you were particularly bad at during uh, test battles, it was not uncommon to have three or four um, of the winners really kind of taking advantage of you. And of course, it was seen, as I said, as an honor to be at the receiving side of this. Um, the ancient texts tell us that losers eagerly took in the winners' loads. The reason was simple. They wanted to capture their wisdom and channel through Freya himself. Now, unlike punitive forms of bottoming that occurred in ancient Rome, Vikings did not see man-on-man action as a form of punishment. Instead, it was an opportunity for renewal and restoration. It is believed that the Paris sack of 1845 was in large part successful because the Vikings had trained well in advance of the invasion. Now, one might wonder if this was because the main channel Freya's um, strength and power through semen exchange in the weeks leading up to the battle. We may know by no way really know, but one can only assume that given Viking tradition, this was entirely possible. Now, um, 
the Gay Buzz Pop Buzz website also then says male warriors of the Viking period frequently engaged in sex with one another. It was only after the onset of the Christia- Christianity and the Christian church that Vikings um, had homosexual relations condemned with among them. But even then, some Vikings did things with one another in defiance of the church. So there we go. Now we know. It wasn't only the Greeks and the Romans. The Vikings did it as well. So, uh, coming back to that question that I asked earlier, if you could choose... What would you be? A Roman, a Greek, or a Viking? And uh, I've got some more answers. Yeah, Anthony said a Greek. Uh, Jamie said Viking. Bobby said a Viking. Ragnar, breed me daddy. Roman, um, uh, Ashley Marit said Roman. They all wore throws and spoke like queens. So how do I know what's happening under that cloth? Anthony said uh, Viking. We've got somebody who said an Arab. Donald said Roman or Greek for reasons I would rather not say on here. I would be very, very interested to actually hear those reasons. And uh, then Thomas said Vikings since I was, uh, it was okay as long as you kept up the role of father, provider and the to, to be productive towards your village. So uh, there we go now. See, the Vikings weren't as hectic as we think they were. There were lots of undercurrents happening there. And uh, the Romans and the Greeks weren't the only ones who had homosexual practices happening. So if you want to know more about this, go and have a look at Gay Pop Buzz. And uh, if you type in a search there, for you could, have, you could have gay sex as a Viking so long as you bareback. You will find more of that. And there are some links there to other interesting Viking sites as well. So if you're a Viking fan, go have a look. If you've never been, this is a new perspective we've just added for you this morning. And of course, Chris had a moment with Aretha Franklin um, dying and uh, me pushing his boundaries perhaps a little bit too far. You better think. You know who sings that? You better... You better think. Uh, better think what you're going to do to me. Oh, Aretha. Aretha. She, she we are going to play some Aretha just now. Mama, we love you. Like, seriously, I was, like, the, the last time I was, okay, look, I was very, very upset. In fact, we had a, like, a morning party, like a M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, right? Um, when Whitney died, and we all karaoke'd Whitney songs. It was very cool, you know? We, uh, we're going to definitely do that, do that again, should I say, for Aretha. Fuck, I love her. Like, um, MJ also felt... But isn't felt- she just changing her music style now, Aretha? What? <laughs> what did you what what was that i <laughs> okay i have a question isn't aretha just changing her music style now are you going to make are you going to make a joke about the dead <laughs> i just wondered if she wasn't singing underground oh my god but <gasps> talking of which... too soon and never appropriate <laughs> inappropriate i i i extract myself for that entire sentence like what? that is rude how rude <laughs> you i cannot i'm not no i will make up for it that i've got is... a song chris <laughs> I'm... <laughs> I'm actually i can't actually i'm standing away from you that's how bad that was that is that is vile <laughs> 
You are something else. You play the song now. You play the song now. Gay Sir Radio, where you are family. This is at the Workday Drive. That's it from us at the Workday Drive. Catch the show on Gay Say Radio, where you are family, every Monday to Friday, 9 a.m. till 12 p.m. Stay safe and uh, stay blessed and see you soon.